Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. My guest today is Lindsey Gorl. Uh, He's the CEO of Core Power, K-O-R-E, Core Power. We're going to be talking about uh, battery energy storage. Core is a leading developer of these high-density, high-voltage energy storage solutions, you know, for global utilities and industrial and you know, what they call mission-critical markets. So, Lindsay, thanks for coming. Thanks for inviting me, Richard. Yeah, tell me, what, um, how long have you been at this uh, battery creation um, and energy storage game, and, and what, what is Core focused on right now? Sure. Uh, Core Power has been around for three years, but we've only basically been to- talking to the global community for one year, but the company's been around three years, and our main focus is, is to become the leading developer of like a high density, high voltage energy storage solutions for for global utility. So this is basically from just from small projects which are like 500 kilowatt hours to massive peaker plants which are one gigawatt hour. So you supply. Uh, what does it look like? What is your solution? Is it just like a big pile of batteries with? You know, I'm being silly, but cables connected to them and they act as uh, storage for, you know, an, a power utility or like what's the functionality of what you make? Sure. So we we make we we are a cell manufacturer, which is which is there's only a handful of cell manufacturers. So we we actually produce our own cells, which are lithium-ion cells, and then we put those cells into a module, and the module is is ba- it's basically a couple inches high by you know eight, eight, ten, twelve inches long and seventeen inches deep, and they fit into a what what looks like a server rack. So what what you do then, and it's highly scalable. So if someone wants a small a small energy storage platform they can t- they can put our modules in there like for example EV charging stations a lot of the EV charging stations that were built originally didn't have storage next to them but now they're all being built with storage uh, obviously it makes it more efficient and they can use it charge more cars etc and those are smaller things and then if someone's building a massive peaker plant which is say a gigawatt hour they would basically just add on a whole bunch of our racks and these look like a simple they look like a server rack that's that's about you know seven feet high. Okay, so for any application, the point is that you'll store what the excess energy created, and then when it's needed, uh, maybe at night or at, at times when uh, you know there's low energy production, your your batteries are a reserve for that function. Yeah, exactly. I think one of the one of the best examples is California. You know, w- there's a lot of articles going on in California now that. You know, California has spent billions of dollars on solar and wind, mainly solar, but the energy cost per kilowatt hour for the user has gone up. And really the reason for that is, if you think of solar, so solar you know, creates energy while the sun's up. But a lot of the part of the day when the sun's up, the, the grid is not being used, obviously, totally. So what happens is you've got a middle-day energy being produced that is basically being wasted. So if you put a storage next to it, 
the energy being created by the solar panel, instead of turning off, turning off the solar panel, you just keep it going and it fills up the battery. And then at night, when people come home from school or from work or whatever, say, say between 4.30 and, and 7.30, um, when the peak happens, a large utility, instead of turning on their coal-fired or their gas-fired peaker plant, they can just consume the energy out of the batteries. And then at night, you can do it again. You just charge up the batteries again at night when no one's using the energy that's being produced by the grid. And then during the morning, same thing. Instead of turning these peaker plants on, which are basically uh, the emit greenhouse gases, you can just turn the battery on. So what it does, it does two things. It makes your it makes the grid and the and the renewables much more efficient, but also reduces your emissions greatly because you don't have to turn these peaker plants on. And and these peaker plants are, are, are big polluters, right? So Well we're talking right now in the time of the coronavirus. So I would think there may be all of a sudden now a, a huge demand for your batteries because you know if so many people are at home Energy use during the day now is probably, I don't, I mean, I'm afraid to even wonder what 10x, what it used to be. So yep. what's going to happen in this environment and how are you guys going to play a role? Well, I think, yeah, I think what you're finding, what we're seeing actually is the demand going up. So you, you it's kind of a weird situation because you have the big producers of lithium-ion batteries. Are main, most of the plants, are, well, all the plants are either in China or South Korea. And both of them had massive, you know, shutdowns. Obviously, for two to two, going on three months, and now they're back up going again. So you have a a a, a, a supply a supply chain that was pretty well sold out in January for the whole 2020. But now you've got two three months of the supply chain has disappeared. So and now the demand's starting to move back up again because of what's going on, and we're the only new production of lithium-ion batteries in the world in 2020. So we're the only new production coming online, which our plant comes online full speed in end of May. We're also two months behind because of what's going on. But, but yeah, I, we see we see the demand. We also see what's happened with the coronavirus. It's kind of changed the optics of what that there should be more storage, and and we're finding more of that. And we're getting uh, we 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 see, and now that storage is economically viable, which is obviously the most important thing. You know, people are now saying, "Hey, if we had more storage in these places, we'd have more less issues." So I think, yeah, this this is kind of a an eye opener to the world on what are the things we need to put in place to alleviate any type of future things like this. And storage is one of the big ones. So, what are some of the constraints on what you do? Is heat a big problem? Is long term storage a problem? You know, like how long can you store energy if needed? What are some of the the holdbacks? Well, I think I think the main holdback in the past was just the cost. So, you know, you're you're you know, if you go back five years ago, your cost per kilowatt for storage. So, if you're going to store a kilowatt hour of, of 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 energy, you know, it's like twelve hundred dollars. Now it's no closer to three hundred dollars. So, what's happened is the biggest. When you, people always ask, well, why didn't they put storage when they built the solar panels and solar farms and the wind farms, you know, six years ago, ten years ago, five years ago? Well, the problem was, was storage was too expensive. You just couldn't do it. But now, the price per kilowatt hour has gone down quite so much that it, it's becoming economically viable to put in storage. And this isn't just renewable and storage. This is storage standalone too, where you would actually just build a storage that takes energy off the grid at non-peak times and then reuses it into grid at high peak times. Again, to reduce the need for these these uh, these basically fossil fuel um, or coal-fired peaker plants. So how long can you store energy? Like, is there a, 
a slow leakage of it, or is it does it barely leak at all? Can you store it for a very long time? Yeah, you could store. I mean, yeah, you, I mean, you could store for a long time. Obviously, every single battery in the world has some sort of reduction of 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 uh, charge over a period of time if it's not used. But today's technology is so minor. Um, like for example, if you had a you had energy storage at your home, say. And you're out in the you're out in the wilderness. So we do a lot of work in in on on islands and in in places like Mid Africa, West Africa, that have big grid issues. Well, you would charge the battery with solar or wind, um, mainly solar in those areas. And then if you need it, so you didn't need the the extra energy for five, six, seven, eight days a month, it would still be fine. I mean, the technology has changed quite a bit. And then you would have the batteries themselves. The batteries themselves are now now usable for more than 10 to 15 years already. Um, and on top of that, we, even though we're new, we did a uh, MOU with a company called Renewance a number of months ago. So before we even started production, we started working with a company on recycling. So we're, not, we're already looking ahead of time, looking at 10 years out when our batteries are now being, or 15 years out when they, you want to reuse them, recycle them like they do with lead-acid batteries, we're going to have a way to do that effectively. So are you going to be doing a lot of retrofitting on installations that haven't had backup but now could have it? Correct. Yeah, I think you're, what you're finding now is people are going back to retrofit uh, either EV charging stations, solar farms, wind farms. On top of that, I would say almost 100% of the wind farms and solar farms that are now being looked at and being built have storage. Um, but yeah, the retrofitting is one of the things that uh, we don't do that specifically. Our company, we supply the product. We supply the product to the EPC, whoever is actually doing that. Yeah, I would think also until now, this has been partly responsible for, you know, the the lack of prevalence of solar and wind. You know, now that if I wanted to put solar in my commercial building or something or in my city and I didn't have backup, you know, I'd be facing X amount of cost. But now with backup, um, and storage, it seems like it may be economically feasible for solar and wind to proliferate because of this. For sure. I mean, you. I mean, what what we're doing right now. I'll give you an example. It, it, so, call call it an apartment building. Call it a small village in West Africa. Call it an island in the Caribbean. And you you've got all these all these. So they're all standalone items, say. And in these other areas, they're running mainly on diesel or because their grid isn't good. An example as for, so you roll into like your apartment building, same thing there. Solar is only good. Solar only creates energy when the sun's up. If you don't have if you don't have storage, you can't run it 24 hours. You can't you can't run your apartment building or your house 24 hours a day. It's impossible. So what because the the energy density of the of the batteries have got so much greater and the cost per kilowatts come down, then yeah, then you 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 actually can set something up whether it's a residential subdivision, whether it's an apartment, whether it's a, an island, an island, small little village, whether it's a mining company somewhere in the middle of nowhere, you can now set up a system where, where mainly solar and storage can run your facility, your apartment, your company 24-7. You know, you'll always be tied to the grid just in case you, something happens, you need some grid thing, but you should be able to run the majority of your energy from renewables and and you couldn't do that you could not do that in the past that was impossible because you, you know the, the the wind and the and the sun only creates energy when it's there and if you don't create it when you need it you lose it so yeah you, that's exactly right is it at the point where you could create um you know i imagine let's say it's some you know remote areas that you have maybe a central power plant but 
they just haven't been able to get power lines out to you know a large part of the area. You drive in a truck full of these cells, charge them up at the power plant, and then drive them out to a site, and they sit there for a week or a month powering you know nearby uh, nearby machinery. Is that possible? Is that even hundred percent? That's possible. So you you have a system where you put it on almost like a container, right? So you put it on the back of a truck. You could charge it from a, a substation somewhere. You could charge it, drive it out there. You could, you might even have two of them. One drives out there, it then it sets in place. Everything's discharged off at the run, whatever you're running, and the other one comes back and gets charged. So you could basically run it so this place that doesn't have a connection at a time can still function fully. Correct. It's almost like it's almost okay. like FEMA. Let's look at let's look at the natural disasters, right? So if you look at natural disaster in, uh, in what happened in New Orleans and some of the fires in California recently, if if you had a bunch of if FEMA had a bunch of containers of these of these batteries, they could drive it on a truck, charge it somewhere else, drive it down, hook it up to the hook it up to the grid to wherever that may be, uh, and to provide power to people. Um, and now, and if you think about it, I mean, just a con- so if you think of a container, a container would hold about five megawatt hours of batteries approximately. And today's scenario, in the old days, it would be one. Well, you could you could charge and run thousands of households for a number of days. So you could have a container going down, run the households for two three days, and before it runs out, another container comes down. So it, it's it's good just for what you said, but also in national disasters globally. That you could you could set these things up. So what um what kind of power can be produced by the batteries? Like, you know, 120, 240, uh, There's certain grades of power that can or can't be produced. Any 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 grade, depending on what your inverter is like. So it's all you have to have a you know you can't just take the battery and plug it into that. You have to have an inverter in between it. Um, usually the container will come with a small transformer and, and an inverter. So you basically have it you have it packaged up to whatever type of Whatever type of power you need, but it can be any. Okay. It can be any type of power. Oh, depending on the type of power, does that deplete the batteries a lot faster? Yeah, it depends. On, it depends on how much you're. Really, it's more about how much you're drawing, how much you need the battery. So that that is less of an issue. Um, if you come down and you want to draw your battery down, and the whole ba- you need the whole battery in one hour, um, you know, or do you need it over four hours, or what do you what do you need the battery for? So depending on what your demand is, is really what draws the battery down. The the the, um, the power, whatever the power is, is less less is less has really almost no effect on drawdown. Okay, gotcha. So what's uh what's made it economical? You know, what, maybe you could talk a little bit about the technology. Like, how has it become dense enough and uh, you know efficient enough that it's now economical? So I think I think what's interesting is people talk always talk about lithium ion batteries, right? But in reality it's not a lithium ion battery. It was way back, but now you've got a number of other different things. So when you look at a battery, you have sort of three parts of the battery. You have a you have what's called the anode and cathode, and some are you know, one one of it's usually graphite related, the other one can be either NMC, which is nickel, manganese, cobalt, it could be LFP, it could be LTT, there's a couple of different other types. But one of the things people forget about is in the middle of it all is what's called the electrolyte. And the electrolyte is is where a lot of lithium is. And it is it is a it is the thing that makes the molecules move back and forth. So when you charge and discharge, molecules are going from back and forth, positive, negative, back and forth as you charge and discharge. The better the electrolyte, the less the molecules 
I would say, how do you want to say, degrade? So if you have a hundred, even molecule that's perfectly round, and you charge and discharge, it now has a little chip out of it. So over time, it can hold less of a charge. That's what that's what degradation does. So the first thing that's happened is these electrolytes are becoming so good that when the molecule goes over to charge and discharge, it doesn't degrade. It takes a long time for it to degrade. So now you have a battery that instead of lasting, maybe the ones that came out 10 years ago lasted five years are now lasting 15 years. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the chemistry. So, and a lot of it's, you know, we, I, I, we can talk about the normal chemistry people talk about like NMC, which is nickel, manganese, cobalt, but there's a lot of other, other things in there besides that. And there's been a lot of work on, on, First, you've got the electrolyte, which is basically the longevity, and then you've got the chemistry that says, how much energy can I pack into a, a cubic foot? And a lot of work's been done on that. So like my best example is if you look at a, a container, a, a container that was fit on the back of a truck, five years ago, it could hold one megawatt hour of energy. Today, it could hold almost five. Hmm. And it all relates to the chemistry of the battery and its ability to hold the energy more energy in a small small area. I guess that's the best way to, to explain it to the your 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 uh, your um, listeners. Right, the energy density. Okay. Yeah. So what um what's your goals for the next twelve months? Just get your system into a lot more places, and if so, like preferentially, what kind of places do you see really need your energy storage solutions? Yeah. So I think we we have two. I think we have two goals in the next twelve months. The first goal is our new production facility. Um, which is two gigawatt hours, which will go to six gigawatt hours by the middle of next year, um, is in production. We're shipping next month to the global market and and really getting our product out into the market so it can be it can be integrated, used, and then obviously obviously approved. So right now we've got all the certifications to get that stuff done. Now we got to get to the marketplace, and that'll take us a few months to get that done. So by by August September we have a number of of our Mark Ones integrated into large solar solar storage, um, EV charging station storage, um, could be microgrid storage off in off in Africa, some places in India. All that'll be done between now and September to prove our product and prove the integration. On top of that, by the September, we'll have selected the site for our U.S. manufacturing plant. So our first manufacturing plant is in China, and our second manufacturing plant will be in the United States. And we will be and we will be announcing the state and the site in September. Okay. Um, is there any new technology that's coming that's really going to make a, a step function improvement in what you already have? I, I think I think it, it, we work on it all the time. We have uh, 500 engineers in our facility in China, and so we work through. And what's interesting is we we are we're also a, sub, a critical supplier. Um, so my background was critical minerals and mining, and how I met my partner was 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 there a chemical company, and they develop all the streams for for fluorine, silica, and, and lithium. And so, as a chemical company, we spent a lot of time on the chemistry side of it, and then on the engineering side, on the design of of the of the packaging, etc. So we are our chemistry changes all the time. I mean, six months ago, I'll give you an example. Six months ago, we had a uh, we had what we called a six-two-two, so six parts, six part parts, um, a nickel, two parts manganese, two parts cobalt. We've moved that to six and a half parts um, um, nickel, two parts uh, cobalt uh, manganese, so manganese, and one and a half parts cobalt. What that does is 
it adds density and it lowers the cost. So that's just as one part of the battery. So we are looking at, we're looking at stuff for today that we think will be our, our, our evolution a year from now. So we are continuously spending around $30 million a year just on that. Do you think that this is going to, um, again, inspire a big surge of renewable energy setups, you know, for, again, for cities, for villages, for commercial buildings, et cetera. Again, I don't see a lot of solar, you know, when I go to various cities, for instance, in the U.S., like, do you think this will cause a tipping point where there's going to be a huge predominance of it in the near future? Because now you've got some great storage capacity. I think so, because now now, now those become efficient. Because before, even having a solar on in, in, in a city, in some respects, the, the, the cost of the solar and what you can get out of it doesn't, doesn't make economic, economic sense. So I, what I like about this is with the sto- right now, you think about most of the stuff that was built in the past on renewables was all done with, with subsidies whether it's the United States or Canada or Italy or wherever, India, it's all been done mainly with subsidies in some respects. And what, what's good about the storage side of it, you now can come out of, the, you can come out of economically viable with not you – you can do it without, in some respects without some subsidies, which is, which is what you want, right? Once you get to that point, then everybody does it. And mm-hmm. I, think, and I, think, right. I think we're getting close to that. Okay. Is there any particular type of power generation that's most amenable to what you do? No, no, it can be, we can be tied to anything. So if you think about, if you think about a, um, the thing about an EV charging station, which is probably everybody knows about those are. So you have an EV charging station, uh, which could be either tied to the grid or tied to solar and next to it is a battery. So what happens is that you, you, whatever the, whatever the source is, you know, and it's, it's the best time to, to, if the source isn't being utilized and you charge the battery. So it can be any, any source works. Okay. Very good. So what's the best way for people to find out more about your, your applications and see if they want to, uh, you know, get the storage component going with you? Sure. Just go to our, our website, uh, www.core, which is K-O-R-E, power.com. And we've got uh, all the information on the website, uh, our products, and also all our contacts globally. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Lindsay, it's a, it's a, I think it's going to be a big game changer because, again, I'd like to see renewables everywhere. And if this can uh, help them do that, I mean, that's that may be one of the greatest things that this accomplishes, at least in my mind. So I'm glad you came and I, I appreciate you talking about this. Oh, and thank you for the invite, Richard. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.